It's the Dirty 30. It is episode 30. It is Friday the 16th. The way it is, official Bobby Golinski podcast. Welcome. Welcome to all, young and old, old and new. We've got uh, a special edition of the podcast today. We have our second interview in as many weeks, back to back. And um, we're going for punks. We're going full punk. No, I'm not talking about a punk like Daniel Andrews. I'm talking about a nine-year-old. We have a wonderful nine-year-old boy that uh, is going to speak to us for about 10 minutes about his experience in lockdown. So this is a truly family-friendly podcast. Yeah, there may be a few F-bombs dropped here and there, but nothing a nine-year-old hasn't heard. So, uh, you know, gather the kids around the radio, put all the headphones in the... uh, iPods, take a walk, take a walk with the whole family, put it on the speaker, put it on the stereo, put it on in the car, and enjoy a nine-year-old's perspective in lockdown, not far away in the show. It is um, about 17 degrees, partly sunny here. We have had another absolutely weird, you know, bizarre week of weather where it's sunny for about 10 seconds and then rain and stuff goes. So not so not only have we still been locked down. Yes, we're we're still locked down. It's you know like asking Nelson Mandela after the 18th year, how is it in there, Mandela? Can you come out on the grass? No, actually, I am quite fine in here for now. It's, you know, it's interminable. We're supposed to get unlocked a bit this Sunday, but um, the odds of getting unlocked are the odds of seen Stephen Hawking competing in the upcoming Tokyo Olympics, which of course have been rescheduled to who knows when, who knows when, but uh, we'll see what happens Sunday. And uh, you know what happens if the promise gets broken. Well, in other news, other news right around the country, Gladys Brooke Jellian, the premier of New South Wales, That's a premier who was doing a really, really, really good job, and they had very few cases of COVID, and uh, borders are open and everything was working. Sydney, um, she's been discovered having an affair. She's single, has no children, but the gentleman in question, um, not so single. But the interesting thing is her boyfriend's phone was tapped because he's under investigation. So she might have to step down. The previous, two previous New South Wales premiers, one of them had to step down because of a bottle of wine. He forgot to declare a bottle of wine. However, here in Victoria, we have premier who's, you know, been responsible for the hotel quarantine failure that's decimated the whole state and um, pretty much rooted four million others, but uh, no, he's he's still fine. Ministers re- resigning every other day, but no, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. But as I said, I'm not going to be chastising him until Sunday. That's promise day, or broken promise day. So this could be the last nice podcast he ever hears. Not that he listens to it, but he should. He could learn something. Um, LeBron James could learn something, too. The L.A. Lakers won their 17th NBA championship this week. I'm the biggest Lakers fan, even back when they were the Minneapolis Lakers with George Mikan um, back in the 50s, because I grew up in Iowa, which is the state bordering Minnesota. And uh, that's before Minnesota became 94% Somalian terrorist. But uh, way back then, that's why the, the Lakers moved. But however, crybaby... King James, LeBron, um, just acts like such a dunce. And viewership was down 84%. 84% for the NBA finals. Not attendance, which of course people couldn't attend, but viewership. People just don't want all that politics and stuff. So uh, we're going to gift LeBron James with uh, a week with Tony Robbins so he can get a checkup from the neck up and not only be a good basketball player, become a good human being along with it, such as Magic Johnson, the true epitome of a great Laker. Anyway, so this is Dirty 30, episode 
30. Unbelievable. It's, uh, it's the time where we're starting to think it's only two weeks till Halloween. And it's only about, you know, six weeks till Black Friday. And uh, not that far away till Christmas and Hanukkah. So we actually talked about putting up the Christmas tree this morning. Not putting it up this morning, but talked about it this morning. And um, being a good Jew and married to a uh, lovely shiksa, we we observe both. We observe Hanukkah and Christmas. And I love our Christmas tree because it's so gorgeous. I remember growing up in Sioux City, winter, the snow, and all of the neighbors had the most amazing Christmas tree. We had people next door to us called the Zales. I don't even know where they are anymore. I think they were involved with the jewelry store. And, uh, you know, that was only 60 years ago. But they had the best Christmas trees. And Valley Drive, the street where I grew up with, uh, going from the top of the street up at Sunset Circle and the Diamond to, uh, you know, the Picos at the top of the street and, you know, down to, you know, the, the bottom of the street, the Rogersons. I just, it was Christmas tree after Christmas tree after Christmas tree. And, yes, a couple of Jews around there going up Blackstone, the Kalins, and uh, uh, around there had the uh, Hanukkah menorah in the window. And we had the little Hanukkah menorah that had these little bubble lights, too. They were little lights that bubbled up like mini lava lamps. And can't get those here in Australia. I have looked all over. Even at Gold's Judaica, which is the big Jewish, you know, knick-knack department store, you know, Judaica store in uh, in Balaclava, where they look at me, you know, sordidly because all I want to do is buy the cheap candles and things like that because they don't have, they don't have the flash electric menorahs. So uh, lift your game, lift your game, boys. So that's where we are. That's where we are with things. And you know what? On this day, it's been a heavy day. Mars, as Mystic Medusa would tell you, Mars is going crazy. We are like Mars active for the next couple months, which is flashpoint anger, you know, just hair trigger tempers on everything. Um, and that's not just because the lockdown. Things just piss me off in general lately. Sometimes I'll be driving down the street and uh, within my five kilometer zone, you know, and I'll see someone just kind of looking at me and uh, I get angry. And uh, maybe they're looking at my car, but everything's making me angry a little bit. You know, if an online order comes two days late, makes me angry. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Angry, but grateful. It's the duality of man. And also Neptune. Neptune is huge in the charts this weekend. So on the good side of Neptune, very heavy lucid dreams and psychic thoughts and premonitions and hunches that will come true. On the negative side of Neptune, you want to eat lots of bad food, like, you know, French fries and tons of sauce and, you know, lots of alcohol. And if you're going to drink lots of alcohol, I'm suggesting this week, as what happens here in the podcaster household, is you get yourself a nice, big, cut, Waterford glass, beautiful cut crystal glass, and fill it to the brim with Uskaba scotch. Now, what's the podcaster drinking? Shouldn't that come later in the program? No, because we've got this beautiful but slightly, you know, nuanced segue from Neptune to alcohol to Uskaba. And Uskaba is pretty much the original scotch, which I know a lot of you really want to know about because Uskaba Uskaba started really back in the 1500s the word Uska Beta means water of life and it's a popular Gaelic vernacular which refers to distilled spirits so pronounce Uskaba it is where we get our English word whiskey and in 1791 it was referenced by Robert Burns that famous Scottish, famous Scottish poet, Robert Burns, in his poem, Tam O'Shanter, we Uskaba will face the devil. And that word is commonly used to refer to Scotch whiskey throughout the UK. A little bit of history on it. Some of you 
whiskey files might know, the brand was formally trademarked in 1877 and in 1969 became 12 Flagons Limited, an American company owned by Stanley Stankowitz. But it became famous in 1969 where it was served at U.S. President Richard Nixon's White House inaugural dinner. I like Nixon, that's why I drink it. And also in 1989, Uskaba Old Rare was selected again to be poured at President George H.W. Bush's White House inaugural dinner, a testament to the whiskey's superior quality and character. And I had a couple of big glasses of Old Rare, and I'm a better person for it. Absolutely a better person for it. This stuff doesn't come cheap. Does not come cheap. But um, there's no such thing as good, inexpensive whiskey. Sorry. So sorry. Now. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for man. Nine, Died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. My firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Because we've gone into the history of Scotch, we may as well just go into the history of history of history and what happened on this day on October 16th back in history. Well, we're not going back to like year zero anymore. We're going to pop into 1813, the Battle of Leipzig, the largest battle in Europe prior to World War I. This is where Napoleon, a typical problem, short people that uh, get overconfident. If you're short, I'm sorry, but you're probably overconfident. Napoleon's forces were defeated by Prussia, Austria, and Russia. Fucking annihilated. Sorry, Napoleon. In 1900, Great Britain and Germany signed the Anglo-German Treaty, <laughs> agreeing to maintain territorial integrity of China and support the open-door policy called for by the U.S. Secretary of State. Hmm, how's that going? And in 1934, Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong, and 25,000 troops began their 6,000-mile long march from the south of China to the north and west. 6,000-mile march. These people don't quit. So if you think they're going to take responsibility for COVID, no, COVID, no, come up, no, uh, laboratory of Wuhan, uh, manufactured by America, America made in lab. No, no, we don't know. You just buy our light bulbs at Kmart. 1962, Cuban Missile Crisis. It begins as JFK has shown photos confirming the presence of Soviet missiles in Cuba. This was between him smoking pot and having an affair with Marilyn Monroe, but he did manage to have the photos slipped under his door and go, ah, Cuban Missile Crisis. We got to do something about it, Bobby. And that would be Bobby Kennedy, not, not me, because I was only nine years old in 1962. 1978, Polish Cardinal Karol Wojcia was elected Pope. John Paul II. And um, big week for Catholics then, big week for Catholics this week, as the Amy Coney Barrett Supreme Court approval process is happening right now, right now, ACB in Washington, D.C. So let's make that happen. Only 20 days till the election. It's getting tense. 1998, Former Chilean dictator General Augusto Pinochet is arrested in London on a Spanish warrant request, requesting his, extrad, his extradition on murder charges, requesting, uh, excuse me, Augusto, do you mind just coming back to coming back to Chile and chill out? It's kind of a Netflix and chill out execution kind of thing. In film and TV in 1923, the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio was founded and in 1968, in sport, Americans Tommy Smith and John Carlos famously gave the Black Power salute on the 200-meter medal podium during the Mexico City Olympics to protest racism and injustice against Afro-Americans. 
Now, one little facet of history, a bit of minutia. Everyone remembers Tommy Smith, and they remember John Carlos. But who was the silver medalist? Who was that white guy on the stand? Well, he was an Australian named Peter George Norman. And he's best known as that third athlete pictured in the famous 1968 Olympics Black Power Salute photograph. And there was a fantastic film about him that uh, nobody saw that was made uh, a couple of years ago here in Australia, too, which, um, and it was called uh, Salute. And it was made by Instinct Entertainment, uh, David Redman, I believe, who uh, is a bit of a mate and a, a fellow I've known for uh, quite a while. And it's an amazing film. Didn't really get much traction, but an amazing film. And lastly, in history, under the Would You Believe on this day in 1384, Jadwiga is crowned king of Poland despite being a woman. Well, so I guess they uh I guess they were gender fluid in Poland back in 1384. And that's today in history. Okay, so we're going to change gears a little bit here. We've had some great interviews um, in the past six months, including an amazing one last week with Antonio Sabato Jr., where I've just been receiving more and more emails and tweets and posts and stuff about it. Uh, what what a guy. You, an amazing mensch, someone that you become friends with the minute you speak to him. But now we're talking to the other end of the spectrum. We're talking to youth and promise and hope and despair and uh, we're going to talk to a nine-year-old, a very special nine-year-old, and this was pre-recorded and taped earlier, and I hope you enjoy this. So welcome, Ali. All right. Um, my listeners have all been hearing about the long, arduous, interminable lockdown from my perspective, so we thought that today it would be interesting to hear a totally different perspective so I decided to interview a child. Ali is a nine-year-old, very close family member who has generously offered uh, to talk to the podcast. Now, Ali, how are you today? Good. All right. Um, lockdown's been a bit hard on everyone, but I understand you're a fanatic golfer and a Carlton supporter, so life's been extra tough. And uh, we call this lockdown through the eyes of a nine-year-old. Now. How's lockdown been for you? Has it been tough? Boring, quite tough, and sometimes a bit annoying. Annoying? Yeah. Annoying. What's been the most annoying thing about it? So when I'm bored and I can't play with my mom because she needs to work. Your mom what? Because when I'm bored, my mom needs to work, so I can't play with her. Oh, okay. So then what are you forced to do? What, what, what do you I do? I don't just watch TV or play with my basketball ring. Play with your... Basketball ring. Okay, all right, all right. Now, I uh, I can't believe your timing on moving to a golf course and getting in a new golf cart like the week before lockdown. So, um, I guess you're missing golf? Yes. Okay, are you still practicing? Yeah. Yeah, how often? Um, like at least once or twice a weekend. At least once or twice a weekend. And I, I heard your golf club has some food trucks? Yes. Okay. So you can't golf, but you can eat? Yes. Okay. That's a good compromise. And anything else that you're really missing? Um, probably seeing grandparents, like, on my mom's side, so... Okay. Yeah. Seeing grandparents on your yeah. mom's side. Is that your favorite side? Yes. Really? With grandparents. Probably. Oh, okay. Don't have any favorite grandparents yes. on your dad's side. All right, well, this podcast is going south. Um, now, um, do you miss going to the footy? Yes. Okay. And do you think um, Carlton showed some promise this year? Yes. Okay. And what's your prediction for next year? Are they going to make it to the playoffs? Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully is a word a lot of Carlton fans use, isn't it? Yes. Okay, okay. And are you missing friends? Yes. All right. But you start school when? Uh, Monday. Monday. Wow. Okay. And uh, are you missing anything like birthday parties? Um, not really, but... No? Know. No. Okay. Your, your birthday is coming up in January. Yeah. Hopefully, 
hopefully that's what how many months from now three three hopefully you'll be able to have a big party by then yep okay and you can even invite your your less favorite grandparents no more no more chocolate for you okay no. now just kidding um now the whole school year there's going to be a lot of kids that want to hear about this the whole school year has changed for you ali I'll bet you never thought you would be homeschooling most of this year, did you? No. Did you even know what homeschooling was? Yes, I did, I, but I did not much about it. Oh, okay. Um, and what have you missed most about going to school? Um, probably seeing friends and teachers. Friends and yeah, teachers. Yeah, play on the football over. Playing? On the football over. Oh, playing on the football over, okay, okay. Uh, and the school is going back on a scattered system and you start... Monday. Yes. Okay. What has been the hardest part about homeschooling? Um, probably the writing, because I'm not that good at writing, so it gets hard with no support. No support. No support from mom or dad? Um, well, she does, but not as much as my teacher. Not as much as your teacher. Okay. And it's interesting because both your mom and your dad are teachers, aren't they? Yes. Okay. So they're spending a lot of time with their students? Yes. Okay. Leaving you home alone with the iPad and the chocolate. Yes. Okay. All right. Good man. And uh, what's been the easiest part about homeschooling? Probably choosing when you can do your work. Choosing when you can do your work. Yeah. Do you Do you prefer the work in the morning or the afternoon or the evening? Um, probably just getting half of it or around uh, two thirds of it done. Yeah. In the morning, and then just finishing it off in the afternoon, so I have time. Okay. So kind of breaking it up a bit. Yeah. And what do you do in between? Um, I just, I usually eat lunch or just watch TV. Okay. And what do you like to watch on TV? Um, just, no, not really much, but just really random shows that I guess on, I guess watch them. Okay. Okay. And do you watch with your mom or dad or just by yourself? Um, most of the time by myself. Okay. Do you ever watch Ratchet on Netflix? No. Okay. You might want to check that out. You might want to check that out. Um, now... We're going to talk about tech just for a minute. What does a nine-year-old like you have on their iPad? Minecraft, YouTube, like um, things you can talk with your friends on. Oh, okay. Yep, and so just other random games that you can do when you're bored. Okay, and when you talk with your friends, can you see them visually too? You can call them and you can text them. So. And you can text them. Yes. Okay, and when you call them, is it a video call or just a... It's a video call. It's a video call. Well, you can choose, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. Would you say most of your friends have an iPad, or are they using a laptop? Or um, a... Most of my friends have an iPad. Well, um, some friends of my friends use um, their mom's phone, so... Okay, mm. okay. And is yours an, an Apple iPad, or is it Apple a... Apple iPad. Pardon me? Apple iPad. Good man, good man. <laughs> because if you don't have an Apple, then you're in second place. Always remember that. Mm. And do you have regular YouTube, or is it kids' YouTube? I have both. You have both? Yes. Okay, wow. All right. And um, are there controls on the YouTube on what you can watch? Um, kids YouTube there is, but not really the normal YouTube. Okay, all right. Something tells me that there could possibly be a few websites that are off limits, however. Hmm. Now, how does Minecraft work? I've, I've never played Minecraft. What is So there's an option for creative. Where you can do whatever you want, you have infinite amounts of things. Yeah. And the survival, where you have to collect things. And there's different world types, where there's flat, so you can just do anything, there's like nothing there. And there's infinite, which is um, like just infinite world. And there's uh, old, which is only uh, one chunk, which is 16 by 16 area. Okay, and are you good at Minecraft? Yes. Okay, would you consider yourself a master? Yes. Good man. All right. And who's your toughest? Do you have a competitor on Minecraft? <coughs> um, yes, Bless my you. friend Kyle. Kyle? Yeah. All right. Have you ever seen South Park? No. Okay. There's a fellow named Kyle on South Park, too. You ought to ask your daddy. It's who's... Kaya, not Kyle. Kylon. Kaya. Kyla. Okay. Kaya. Is it a girl? No, it's, it's Kaya. It's a guy. Kyla. Okay. Kaya. There's no L. How do you spell Kaya. that? K-A-I-Y-A-H. Wow. Kyle. Wow. We're going to have to see what his, what his parents were doing um, to, name, to name him that, but that's okay. That's a cool name. It's a hard one to forget, isn't it? 
got a lot of vowels in it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He could buy a consonant. Okay. And how have you kept in touch with your friends mostly during lockdown? With the um, with the messenger kids and. Messenger. Okay. Boy, can you imagine if you didn't have that? You'd have to write them letters, put a stamp on, and send we it to them. We did do that the first time when I didn't have messenger kids, so yeah. Wow. Now, with only nine days of lockdown to go, unless. Daniel Andrews has been lying to us. What are you looking forward to most? Um, seeing grandparents and... Seeing kids. grandparents. And we already know which grandparents. We won't go into that. Um, now, lastly, TV and cooking. What has been your favorite TV that you've been watching? If you could only watch one show over and over again. Um, Teen Titans Go. What is it? Teen Titans Go. Teen? Titans Go. Teen Titans Go. Yes. All right. Do you think I'd enjoy it? <coughs> not really. Not really. Okay. It might be Maybe, over... Maybe, but... Not I'll check up on it. It might be too intense for me. Okay. And have you watched The Octopus Teacher? Yes. Okay. How long do you think that guy could hold his breath underwater? A long time. A long time. All right. Last section. <laughs> We've all been cooking a lot. I, I've heard you made some biscuits. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, what well, kind of biscuits? You make cookies. Cookies. And brownies. They were hard brownies. Cookies and brownies. Wow. All right. Lastly, Ali, do you have a good joke for me? Um, why did the boys throw the clock out the window? Why did the boys throw the clock at the window? The boys throw it out the window. Throw the clock out the window. No idea. Because he thought time could fly. He thought time could fly. That's very good. That's very good. Now, lastly, for our listeners, and we've got listeners all around the world, what team do you barrack for in football? Carlton. Carlton, just testing you. And lastly, how long do you think it'll be before you get back to the footy? Two months? Two months? months? Three well, months? Okay. So it might be... A Longer. All right. We'll see if you're a bit I of a Nostradamus. Thank you very much for talking to us today, Ali, and uh, clarifying the hierarchy and echelon of the grandparents. And um, we wish you luck back at school. Thanks for talking to us. Well, there you go. That's the lockdown through a nine-year-old and amazing resilience. We, we talk about all the whinges and complaints and everything that we all have about lockdown, which are all valid, of course. But uh, there you go. The children thrive. Thank, thank God for Minecraft. And I didn't even know what Minecraft was. So kids, live long and prosper. Well, it's entertainment time, as you know, by the lovely, lovely Fox music. And uh, we're not going to talk about Fox right now. Actually, we're going to talk about a Warner Brothers movie. But we love that Fox theme, so we play it and we support Fox when we can. We just recently watched, as in this week, Richard Jewell. Now, I know that Richard Jewell came out in December of 2019, but just got around to watching it now. And I'm a very, very ardent Clint Eastwood fan who produced and directed the film, which is based on the novel American Nightmare, the ballad of Richard Jewell, and also the suspect in Olympic bombing, the FBI, the media, and Richard Jewell, the man caught in the middle by Kent Alexander and Kevin Salwin, won a novel, won a Vanity Fair article. A Vanity Fair back when they had great articles that weren't just articles about President Trump. Anyway, as we all know, over the years, Clint Eastwood's part and parcel is the hero up against unimaginable forces or forces out of his control. And this one is really no exception. Richard Jewell was the very rotund, slightly slow, good old Southern boy, but with an almost autistic Rain Man type knowledge of law enforcement tenants and the penal code 
who was working as a security guard the night of July 27, 1996, at the onset of the Atlanta Olympic Games, when a bomb went off, killing a woman and severely injuring 111 other people. Now, Richard, who had been somewhat of a failed police officer, guard, university, security person, this and that, uh, had befriended a lawyer 10 years earlier who comes to the rescue of him when at first he is hailed as a hero for discovering the backpack that ultimately held the bomb that went off, but then later becoming the prime suspect and absolutely wrecked and destroyed by the FBI, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who all but tried and convicted him in the press, along with Tom Brokaw at NBC. I was living in Atlanta at the time for a couple years, and it was huge news because everyone on the planet pretty much thought this guy was guilty until it was found out that he was railroaded and absolutely miscast as the villain and ultimately was released without being formally charged. No apology from the FBI, no apology from the U.S. Attorney's Office. They simply dropped the, dropped the case after absolutely reaming him beyond recognition. Now, I suppose it's a bit of a spoiler, and you've already figured it out, that he wasn't the guy that did it. But since it's such common knowledge and everybody really seemed to know that it wasn't him. I think it's it's fair enough to say that the story isn't the the who done it, it's the the why done it about how he became such a victim and his almost impossible ride uphill to clear his name. And um, it's a very prescient thing because it is just the embodiment of fake news and government oppression and the the uh Lonely citizen, the the fella out there without any ammunition to be able to defend himself against the press or the government. And it's not Clint Eastwood's best work, but it's a real return to form. And uh, there's a few holes here and there and stuff like that, but the portrayals are amazing. John Hamm from Mad Men as a, as a, uh, a, a pretty vicious FBI agent. Kathy Bates as Richard Jewell's mother. Amazing performances. And the always reliable, absolutely amazing Sam Rockwell as the lawyer who's uh, kind of a bit of a curmudgeon but befriends him 10 years before and how a chance meeting brings him to the fore as the only person that will really look after him um, when this all happens. It's, it's just a film about justice. And there's nothing more important than the truth. And there's no, nothing more important than justice, whether it's someone who's imprisoned for 30 years and having a DNA test free them um, and getting their, getting their life back and getting some, some compensation. Nothing can compensate you for 30 years in prison, but you, you know what I mean. It's, it's always about the truth. The light of the truth is all the payment you really need sometimes. And uh, it's an amazing film. That is really a, a must-see. There's nothing that uh, the whole family can't see, pretty much. And this is the family podcast, as you know, with our nine-year-old interview. But uh, a must-see, a real must-see. I know that Clint Eastwood is hardly from the left side of politics, but he kind of leaves the politics aside in this one in rare form. And um, it's well-measured, well-cast, and... Uh, Written by Billy Ray, who originally wrote The Color of Night, and Captain Phillips, amazing film, Who's Your Captain Now? <laughs> and uh, a great watch, a great watch. Another thing to watch if you're looking for something relaxing in a, in a real family uh, series is Netflix's The Vow. Just kidding, it's not a family watch, but uh, about the sex trading cult that is currently in the news and currently in the courts that was headed up by allegedly Keith Raniere with the Nexium cult and DOS in ESO. And it is about um, the procuring and owning of high-profile females and actresses and blackmail and bringing them into this sex cult. And what's amazing about it is 90% of the conversations were recorded 
both secretly and openly by one of the members of the cult who left. And so you've got all these recordings and interviews, which is, you know, amazeballs. The challenge in it is that there's not a lot of video to accompany those. So it's recreated or it's some, you just see the conversations and there's some special effects in the back. So the first couple of episodes make it a little bit kind of challenging to get into this story, into this web of intrigue. But by the middle of the second hour, you start thinking, oh my God, what is going on here? And you immediately come to mind people that you might know, perhaps yourself, that have gone to personal develop seminar, personal development seminars. I know I've spent um, hundreds of hours in, in many of them, which have all been either pretty valuable or, in the case of some, extremely valuable, like John D. Martini, Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, people like that. None of them, fortunately, were sex trading cults. Not that I would have been a prime procural for that, I can tell you. But you can easily see how the bonding, and even if you've done a business weekend, let's say with uh, a couple dozen people with a business seminar or a business workshop, that bonding you have at the end of just two or three really intensive days together, you can see how the trust builds and how you'd be coerced into doing things that on the outside, you'd think, wow, I would never get sucked into that. But how these innocent women get sucked into, the, and, and men get sucked into this cult. We are uh, about halfway through it. And I know it's in the courts right now, so it's not going to come to a conclusion right away. But it is an astonishing effort in the courage of the people in the cult to walk out of it. Um, as they said in Jonestown, there's not any more jokes there because the punchline was just too long. Check that one out. Now, still staying in film, but segueing to books about film, there's quite an amazing new book out as reported by Audrey Cleo Yap in Variety magazine. And it's Bruce Lee, the late Bruce Lee's daughter, Shannon, recalls his struggle to make Enter the Dragon in a brand new book. And the 1973 film, the seminal film, Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee had written a letter to Ted Ashley, the then head of Warner Brothers, explaining his passion for making the movie and what Lee regarded as his chance to make a lasting impression on Hollywood. Quote, you see, my obsession is to make, pardon the expression, the fuckingest action motion picture that has ever been made, end quote, Lee wrote. The film was a massive hit. It grossed more than $350 million worldwide, would go on to cement him as a martial arts superstar, but Lee himself would not live to enjoy its success. He died one month before the release, and it was the last movie he would complete before his death. And Lee's struggles on the Enter the Dragon set and his battles with the systemic xenophobia he faced in Hollywood are interwoven with his own philosophical writings in the new book, Be Water, My Friend, The Teachings of Bruce Lee. It was written by his daughter, Shannon Lee. It's quite an amazing book. It's um, a lot of Hollywood stories, as most Hollywood bios are, but it really goes into the backstory of Bruce Lee and the mystery of his life. And uh, it it's, it's quite an unusual biography because it's about a battle. It's really about the battle. All Bruce Lee wanted to be was accepted and to teach. And uh, it's, it's quite an easy read. And um, just kind of something that picked up picked up by accident. I mean, the, the original film for End of the Dragon was a, was a dream opportunity come, you know, for, for Bruce Lee. It was a Hollywood feature for him to star in. So that having been said, Hollywood build it as kind of a double lead in case their gamble on Bruce Lee an Asian didn't pay off. And it was in part to the part due to the intense prejudice and concern surrounding the xenophobia of audiences at the time. And uh, Shannon Lee, uh, late Bruce's daughter, you know, really take, takes the whole thing apart. The, the script was terrible. In fact, it was so terrible that um, her father had been adamant that the writer be fired and sent back to California while rewriting it himself. And uh, nobody wanted a part of that. The people just wanted him to jump around and kick ass and, 
and and do shit and um, you know that's just kind of kind of the way it was back in those days. Worth a read. A um, little bit of summer holiday reading there, and uh, once again, it's called "Be Water, My Friend: The Teachings of Bruce Lee," which just kind of came onto my desk by accident from um, a client of mine who sent it to me, and uh, just been leafing through and then got stuck into it. Good read. And I did have to explain the origin of the book and how it got on my desk because um, otherwise the um, the proprietor of The Grumpy Swimmer, which is my go-to bookstore in Elwood, would be very upset and uh, I wouldn't be able to walk past the store if he thought I was being disloyal and had actually purchased the book elsewhere. So we have to have full disclosure here. Just uh, got to keep on your toes when you're walking through the village sometimes. Got to keep on your toes. Be loyal. Be loyal, my friend. Before I forget, a shout out to the solicitor to the stars, David Littlejohn, who sent me some amazing fodder for future podcasts, little secret things, or rather 33 true facts about famous people that most people do not know. Um, In fact, such things as Simon Cowell, who briefly worked as a runner in Stanley Kubrick's film The Shining. He polished Jack Nicholson's axe. And such important things such as, you know, know, this is, I don't really even wonder if I can share this, that Dr. Ruth, Dr. Ruth is a trained sniper. To this day, she can load a Sten automatic rifle and under a minute, blindfolded. Don't fuck with Dr. Ruth. So shout out to him. Shout out to Monster Dome on Twitter. If you don't follow Monster Dome, you don't know Australian politics. Uh, I don't really know who Monster Dome is. Uh, I don't even know the gender of Monster Dome. But uh, you definitely, definitely got to follow that site. So what has your podcaster been cooking up, baking up, whipping up? Well, the big cake, the big sponge cake is coming this week when this when the cake dome arrives, the much long awaited, delayed internet online, who knows where it's coming from, hopefully not China, cake dome that we ordered just eons ago. Many other things have come, but not that. But in the interim, I've gone full waffle and full French toast. I have been obsessed with making a rich, rich breakfast to break the breakfast boredom, so to speak. And it came from several of these Neptune-based lucid dreams I had about Sylvia's Waffle House in Harlem. Now, a couple of years ago when I was in New York with um, my amazing wife and confidant, Sylvia Woods, the queen of soul foods, Waffle House. And uh, she's Sylvia Woods was the founder and owner of the world famous Sylvia's Restaurant, which is located right on 328 Malcolm X Boulevard in the heart, the heart of Harlem and has been there since 1962. Now, I got to tell you, $17.95, you get the most amazing waffles ever made and fried chicken. Now, you think, should that go together? Waffles and fried chicken? Fuck yes. Waffles and fried chicken could be possibly one of the most complete meals ever known to man. In fact, if I ever commit a federal crime, which is highly unlikely because, you know, you only get to wear one uniform. You don't get to, uh, you know, be very trendy and get ordered around. And every everything I don't like would happen in 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 prison. I could commit a federal crime, depending what Daniel Andrews does Sunday. But that having been said, if I ever did commit a crime, and they said, okay, you know, death penalty. What's your last meal? My last meal would be waffles and fried chicken from Sylvia's. Just to tell you a little bit about her, we wandered into this restaurant when we were there on a soul food tour that was amazing. Sylvia was born and raised on her mother's South Carolina farm and had dreams at a very young age of marrying her childhood sweetheart, Herbert, and one day trading the cotton fields in for the bright lights 
of New York City. And who wouldn't? Young and determined, Sylvia received her beautician's license at night while attending junior high school during the day and opened the first farmhouse salon in her hometown of Hemingway, South Carolina. Sylvia and Herbert met while she was 11. He was 12, picking beans after school. Well, 1944, the war, Sylvia married Herbert and started the journey north towards a brighter future. A brighter future. Harlem called. Sylvia answered, and she became a waitress at Johnson's Luncheonette in 1962. After several years of dedicated service to her employer, Mr. Johnson recognized Sylvia's entrepreneurial spirit and sold her the luncheonette. Julia Presley, Sylvia's mother, whom was a farmer and midwife, mortgaged her farm to loan her the money for the purchase. Then, the small luncheonette consisted of 15 stools and six booths, has now flourished into a family-owned enterprise, which consists of Sylvia's Restaurant in Harlem, Sylvia's Also, Sylvia's Catering and Special Events, Sylvia's Food Products, and a very charitable organization, and provides scholarships for students across the United States. And man, I have been dreaming about this place the past couple of nights, and we cannot wait to get back. And I've uh, attached the menu onto the show notes. And the show notes, once again, you got to subscribe, please. It's theWayItIs.blueberry.net. TheWayItIs.blueberry, spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.net. Visit the website, see the show notes, see all the links, see all the cool pictures and stuff, and uh, learn recipes, have fun, learn how to send hate tweets, everything that's important. No, just kidding there. Check it out. Check it out. A couple other mini shout-outs to, uh, to Gadi Koski, who uh, is a great listener and a great fan of uh, the podcast and has his own own uh, show, The Men's Show, and you can see him on Facebook. And also a hello to Marie Budimir and Karen Rose, who uh, were two ladies that I worked at a radio station with for a while, and I always see them popping up on social media and big fans of the podcast and um, good people to follow on their own to really appreciate their support and uh, their family's support. And Karen's daughter over in New York City, or I think she might be back here in Australia now. But uh, keep on sharing and keep on caring. Because no matter what happens in the world, trust the scientists. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How's that working out for all of us? Well, today in science, bitches, we've got a real buzz on. Yes, I was trying to whistle Flight of the Bumblebee, which is one of the most difficult things to whistle. And that's because in science, bitches, I'm curious about bees. I love bees. And did you know, did you know that some bees are born curious, yellow, while others are more single-minded? Well, never say fuck bees because bees will come back to fuck you. By Chelsea Cook at The Conversation. Well, did you know when you try to pick a restaurant with a group of friends, how do you decide? How do you decide? Well, your curious friend wants to try the new place, while your focused friend wants to go to the old faithful. One friend is insistent, the other more quiet. Ultimately, the focused vocal friend convinces the group by saying, quote, I'm telling you, this is the best place. It's a sure thing. We got to go. Well, just like people, honeybees vary in how they seek out food and communicate where to go. 
As animals collect food, they must balance exploring for new food with exploiting already known food sources, and individual animals have to do one or the other, switching between exploring or exploiting, exploring or exploiting, exploring or exploiting. And in collectives, like honeybee colonies, foragers can split the work and do both at the same time. As honeybees forage for nectar and pollen, they get a lot of information. Smells, colors, locations, you know, they kind of store that in their iPad of beatum. And um, the interesting thing is um, several of these scientists wanted to find out how the bee college manage all this data and act on these two types of information. So to answer that question, no, they didn't interview the bees, you morons. They first figured out how to breed curious bees and focused bees. We tested female queens, so they said, and male drones. I, I kind of had, I have a problem with that. How come the females get to be the queens, which sounds, you know, royal, and males, drones, drones, sounds like a kind of retard. Who's a drone bee? Anyway, they tested female queens and male drones to see if they were curious or focused, and then used artificial insemination. Now, I don't know how they held these bees to do that, you know, artificial insemination thing. And if they put them on top or from behind or, or whatever, I've, I've never seen bees really do the business. There's not, um, there's not bee porn out there where you can really find that out. Anyway, typically queens mate with 12 to 15 different drones. Whoa, it's not a threesome. It's a beesome. Zzz. And you might have to explain that to any children listening to the podcast. Create Genetically create diverse workers. So using a single drone helped keep workers genetically uniform. Anyway, once these scientists had populations of genetically curious and genetically focused bees, they had to verify that they wouldn't be influenced by their own social environment. So they did this by placing the bees in different colonies and kept track of them. I don't know, did they you know, put little bits of paint on them. Did they dress them in little shirts, like red and blue shirts, so that we can go, you know, red state, blue state, red state, blue state. Anyway, they gave the bees a choice between two food locations, a familiar, reliable food location that stayed in the same spot for four days, or a new food location that changed odor, color, and location every day. And both locations contained the same quality and quantity of food. I know you're at the edge of your seat on this one. I was when I read this. They marked the bees on the abdomens. So as they visited the feeders, they knew which ones had been to and which ones were revisiting. It's like, hey, Jerry, you were here the other day, weren't you? Anyway, interestingly, the 50-50 mixed colony ended up acting more like the focused colony. The curious colony, as expected, visited the novel and familiar food locations equally showing no preference. And when honeybees find a good source of food, they use the wiggle-waggle dance. The wiggle-waggle dance, kind of like President Trump was doing at the Florida rally this morning, to direct their nestmates. When we looked at the wiggle-waggle dance behavior in the 50-50 colony, Hey, go with me on this one. I know a lot of you are getting confused and taking notes, especially if you're driving. We saw the focus bees were dancing more intensely, way more intensely, about 20% more turns per second with those little bee butts doing that little bee wiggle. So just like your vocal excited friend at the beginning of this article, the focused bees attracted more followers. So more bees were recruited to the familiar, reliable feeder. Well, there we go. Because curious bees are interested in everything, including porn, movies, cars, international travel, um, you know, art, dynamics, neurophysics, and quarks. Well, they're interested in everything that bees like, including new information about possible food locations. They are perfect listeners and easily convinced to visit the chosen feeder of their enthusiastic nestmates. Well, what does that do for you? 
Next time you have one of your friends that's just really focused and insisting on going to someplace, you can see if he or she does the little wiggle waggle with their butt, a little twerk, because they are just like a focused bee. And that is Science Bzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz
not like bad skin, but acne like the Swedish fashion house beanie, which I love so much. So that's kind of in keeping with this punk theme and the whole the whole show. Just to revisit for those of you that might have tuned in late, you know, real punks such as, you know, Daniel Andrews and uh, young punks such as Ollie, the nine-year-old who, you know, gave us his view on on lockdown and uh, traditional punks like Vivian Westwood and the Sex Pistols, who we'll get into next week, which uh, amazing show, which ties into the music scene. And um, then punk clothing from Japan, where they embrace it, such as Comme des Garçons. And um, on that note, punk, on that note, I think we'll wrap up the hour. And um, just kind of thinking back onto the beginning of the podcast and how I forecast, you know, we're just a couple weeks away from Halloween. Just looking out the window here, and a kind of an abject sadness came over me because Halloween I do miss in the U.S. It's the it's the autumn arrival. The leaves get crisp. It gets darker. It's a celebration of darkness. Darkness! And costumes and trick-or-treating and jack-o'-lanterns and things like that. And although we've embraced the commercial aspect of it here in Australia, miss the northern hemisphere, the U.S., the U.K., and all the children of the night going around. And um, so it just portends the harbinger of the darker days of the year. It's magic. It's mystical. And it just it just lacks that here. There's too much light. It stays light too late. And summer's around the corner. And it's just wrong. Blessed to live here in Australia. But the absence of being able to embrace Halloween and Christmas when it's, you know, 110 degrees. 45 degrees centigrade, and um, you're at the beach. It's just not right. So in my heart, I'm missing the Northern Hemisphere badly right now. But in the presence of the Lord and the now, I'm loving being here in Australia and very grateful and very grateful and sending out good vibes to ACB in Washington, who is being grilled mercilessly by the rabid dogs of the left in the Supreme Court hearing, such as Cory Booker asking ACB if she might be sympathetic to white supremacy. Uh, This is a, a mother of six or seven children, of which two are adopted from Africa. Give me a break. And the craziest, most mean-faced congressperson on the planet, Psycho Maisie Hironi of Hawaii, starting out the testimony, asking ACB, asking this this mother, that most one of the most highly respected candidates in history, if she's ever sexually harassed or sexually attacked anyone as a professional or as an employee of a company or as a professor. I just don't know what's happening to the United States three weeks, less than three weeks out from the election. So uh, I'm going to let that go for the day. And uh, I vote at the U.S. Embassy this coming week, just in time. Can't wait. And uh, I'm voting for freedom and the American way. I hope you vote if you're in the U.S. And I hope you vote for the progress of America. And I'll leave that in your hands, whether capable or incapable. And I'll leave it with a glimmer of hope because hope is what keeps us going. Have an awesome week. I hope you're here next week. I hope you subscribe. And I'm going to have a special treat for you next week. A lot of musical treats and something that several of you have been asking for since the very first podcast. Have an epic week. Be epic. Be water. This is what I did, okay? I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water.
Now, if you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. The water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Be water, my friends. See you next week.